Hey guys. Howdy. Coming closer. Alrighty, I'm going to pray. Father, again, uh, I just want to ask and add to what Cameron has prayed, that we'd be excited by this vision of the future that we're looking at. We'd just absolutely be passionate, excited about your love for us, what you have in store for us, how wonderful it all really is, and to be inspired to begin to live that out uh, and to live in the light of that even now. Uh, Move us, Father, and uh, ignite our hearts by your Spirit, through your Word, in your Son's name. Amen. Yeah, this is the last talk in this uh, epic series, The Story of God. Yay. Celebrate. Um, we're looking at last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22. You're hanging out for this, right? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's the end of the world or the end of the story in one sense, but it's a new beginning, right? So it's a whole new beginning. <laughs> uh, one of the extraordinary things about the book of Revelation is that this man, John, every line pre- pretty well is referring back to the uh, scriptures. And there are echoes here from uh, Psalms, from Proverbs, from Genesis, from the prophets from the Gospels and all through the Scriptures because this is where the story all comes together, right? So echoes from everywhere in the Bible, everywhere back in the story are all now coming together in Revelation 21 and 22. And this is where our, uh, what we've understood about the story so far is confirmed that the whole purpose of God is not to take us out of this earth up to some heaven but rather for the kingdom of heaven to come down into a renewed earth and heaven and earth to be joined forever. So there are three parts in this vision. There's the new heaven and new earth, yeah? Then there is the holy city and then lastly the throne of the Lamb. So firstly, the new heaven and new earth. Verse 1 I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The final scene of the Bible isn't saved souls going up to heaven. It's God's new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. Heaven comes down to earth. The holy city speaks of Jesus' throne and the presence of God coming down and touching this earth and renewing this earth. And all things will be made new. Now, the word new there means renewed. Uh, God is restoring and renewing all things in this text. Heaven and earth will be renewed. Heaven will be renewed because it will be finally united to the earth. And the earth will be renewed in the sense of healed because heaven will heal the earth when heaven comes into the earth. The Old prophets, uh, Old Testament prophets said a lot about this day. Isaiah 2 said that we'll beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. <laughs> We've got that expression, may there be peace on earth. That's exactly what Isaiah is saying. Uh, we're going to take our guns and beat them into hammers and start building God's new world. Isaiah describes this day as a feast of rich foods for all peoples because God is going to destroy the shroud that covers all the nations and swallow up death forever. Amazing. And God will wipe away every tear from everyone's eyes 
and remove the people's disgrace from the earth. This is the prophecy of Isaiah. And he says, on that day we'll build houses and dwell in them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and we will not labour in vain. And the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. Everyone somehow will be a vegetarian. I don't know why. But they will, not, they will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. This is the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, if this sounds like heaven on earth, it's because it is. <laughs> it is. This is the renewed earth with now heaven and the throne of heaven on earth. How is the earth renewed? There'll be no longer any sea, verse 1. Which means not only is the reality of chaos and evil removed, but even the possibility of chaos and evil is removed. It cannot come back. There is no longer any sea in this renewed earth. Uh, now, some people think that means we can't go surfing because there won't be oceans. Well, I don't think that's what it means. <laughs> there may well be surfing, and in fact, there won't be white sharks. Or if there are, you can ride them, you can surf them, because they won't eat you. Uh, so this, this is just a symbol, right? This is a symbolic language. There'll be no longer any sea. There'll be no longer any chaos or evil to overwhelm us. There'll no longer be any fall. There'll no longer be death. There'll no longer be evil, sin, decay, corruption. It'll all be gone. And we'll never be able to come back. No snake will be there. No tree of the knowledge of good and evil will be there to tempt us. It's all going to be renewed. So the new creation uh, will be physical, but in a new way. Physical for us often means, you know, stuff that we can chop down and cut and smash and burn and bruise, right? Uh, stuff that if we leave it to itself, it will rot and decay eventually, yeah? That's not the kind of physical we're going to have in the new creation. Uh, God's new earth will be a different kind of physical. Romans 8 says the new creation will be free from its bondage to decay and enjoy the freedom that comes when the children of God are glorified. If we take that seriously, we need to see the future earth as more solid, more permanent and more glorious than this present creation. That means that the most beautiful sunset we've ever seen, the most stunning bird song we've ever heard and the most delicate flower we've ever seen, they're just echoes. They're just signposts pointing to the absolutely, amazingly beautiful future that we have in store for us. And we'll be that ourselves. We will be unimaginably beautiful, glorious bodies, glorious souls. <laughs> we don't know exactly what this means, but at least it means that we'll blossom in places we didn't even know we had buds. And deep inside every single created thing, men, women, even mountains and hills, um, deep inside of those, there are unrealised un, um, potentials. There are reservoirs of glory and power that are not only untapped, they're hidden at the present moment. And to the degree uh, that we come under the healing lordship of Jesus Christ on that day will be the degree to which those reservoirs will just explode in their potentiality. And we'll be people we've never dreamed of. Um, Isaiah says we're going to run and not grow weary. What does that mean? To have glory, 
glorious bodies like that. Um, what will the new creation be like? We can hardly even imagine. But the point is that we're in brokenness now. We're in decay now. We're in death now. We're in evil now. But as we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, as his throne is established on this earth, all of that will be healed. And we will come into wholeness. And decay and poverty and death and oppression and brokenness will not be able to stand before him. Cool? A few amens, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, yeah. Now, the holy city, secondly, will come down. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Notice, firstly, it doesn't say the holy suburb came down, right? Uh, it's not a holy suburb. It doesn't say the holy national park came down out of heaven. It doesn't say the holy farmland came down out of heaven. It says the holy city came down out of heaven. What is a city? What's the difference between a city and a suburb? Well, there's more people in a city and there's more people density in a city. I was at uh, Kuala Lumpur last year and um, had a great time there. And it's incredibly people dense. I think there are 7,000 people per square kilometre across the whole of Kuala Lumpur. And it's a city of 8 million people. And it means that there's city above, people above you, below you, around you. And there's such energy of people everywhere you go. It's extraordinary. And uh, a real buzz. Now, in this world and in this day and age, people density is both good and bad. Why is it good and bad in this world? Well, Genesis 2 and the Garden of Eden explains this. On the one hand, we were made for love relationships. That's why Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed means that they had absolute transparency, absolute acceptance. There was no blockage in their relationship at all. And the moment Adam and Eve lost a relationship with God, the moment they fell into sin, was the moment they were ashamed and had to hide from God. Because they knew something was now wrong. And they ran away, right? And they hid from God. And the moment they started hiding from God was the moment they started hiding from each other. That's what the fig leaves were about. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. Why? Because when you know that there's something wrong with you, even though you want the love of that other person... And you want that other person to look into your heart and to see the whole of you and love you. You also know that if they did look into your heart and see everything about you, that they may not love you at all. And so the debilitating dilemma of being human in this age is that we want relationships, but we're afraid of relationships. Philosopher John Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. But that's a problem because we want to be loved. We want love and yet we can't have love because our relationships are filled with conflict. And we try to control like what other people can see of us, right? And that's what the fig leaves were about. It's, it's trying to control what they can see in me. I, I've got to put this barrier there. And, and we can't let anybody know who we really are for fear we'll be rejected. But not being known is... It's just awful. Like, it really is unsatisfactory. And yet, if they really knew me and then rejected me, that's my worst nightmare. It's my worst nightmare. 
But to be fully known and fully loved, to be naked and unashamed, that is unlimited joy. And in the new creation, that's what we'll have. Unlimited joy. Loads of people around us, yet with perfect love. The holy city is a world of love. The holy city is filled with people, but they all love us. And we don't have to hide anymore. There is no conflict. There is no disappointment. There is just fully known and fully loved. And in that environment, we'll want to fill our lives with people because people are wonderful, seriously wonderful. If we could only get a glimpse of who we will be like in that new creation, we'll want to be together. We'll want to fill our lives with people. And that's the vision of the holy city. Why will this be possible? Why will we be able to be with all these other people and be fully loved? Because we'll be beautiful. I want to touch on this again. I already have. Verse 2, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's a couple of aspects here. Firstly, this city is also a bride. So we're citizens of this city with Jesus as our king. But Jesus doesn't just relate to us as a king relates to subjects. He relates to us as a husband relates to a bride. He doesn't just want to rule us. He wants to know us and love us. He wants us in his arms. And so we're not just a city, we're a bride. This is the fulfilment of a theme woven throughout the story. Right from Adam and Eve onwards, the marriage of the man and the woman right at the beginning was always pointing to this day when we would be married to Jesus. The great wedding of the Lamb with his bride. And, you know, we were created from his rib, from his wounded side, and we will be joined to him finally and fully again, and we will be one. Amazing. And what's also amazing here is not just that we'll be Jesus' bride and have this wonderful, intimate love relationship with him. Also, we will be a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. John wants us to see the beauty of the bride on that day, right? Um, Apparently, some people get married underwater. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, and it's a thing. And uh, the trouble with that is you're in your swimmers, your scuba gear, right, your goggles, and it's not very glamorous, yeah? (laughs) And and I think the whole point of marriage is we want to look as good as we can, yeah? And it's wonderful. And the bride's dress is is um, expressing her inner and outer, outer beauty. And it's just a glorious thing to be part of. And it's great. And this is, here is almost a reference to Ephesians 5, where Paul says that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he's not just our king and saviour, he's our husband-to-be. And he loves us like a bridegroom loves his bride. And even though we're not lovely at all, right, when he first loves us... <laughs> Nonetheless, he loves us and then he begins to make us beautiful, giving his life to make us clean, sending his spirit to purify us so that bit by bit we become beautiful, ready for that day. He begins to take away our shame. He begins to take away our selfishness and turn it into love and joy. And finally, in the future, in the new heavens and new earth, we'll be beautiful through and through absolutely gorgeous in every way. Chapter 19 talks about the bride's gown representing the good deeds of the saints. 
We'll be beautiful externally and internally and in, in, in how we live in every single way. No need to hide anymore. No need for fig leaves anymore. We can be naked and unashamed because we're all beautiful. And so this epic story that started with two people in the Garden of Eden will end with a city full of people. The garden has become a community. Uh, it's become a city, a garden city, but a city. <laughs> and this is the fulfilment. This is where the story was always heading. And remember back in Genesis 4, Cain murdered his brother Abel, right? And afterwards, he began to build a city. And it's as if he knew in his bones that this is where the story was always meant to go, that we would become city dwellers. And it didn't work because it was a place of violence and strife with people pitted against each other. But here now we see the full fulfilment of that. This is where the story was always meant to go to. This is what the, the city of Jerusalem represented in Israel. This city that was to come, the new Jerusalem, a city full of people, a city full of love, a city absolutely beautiful in its people and its relationships. But cities are also about culture. Remember, Cain's city uh, made um, musical instruments and they made tools of bronze and iron. Remember that back in Genesis 4? And tents and livestock. And, and so Genesis 4 was the beginning of human culture. And remember the reign of David and Solomon where they had this great flowering of culture. Amazing. And we're told here in chapter 21, verses 22 and 24, the nations and their kings will stream into the holy city, bringing their glories. And this fulfills so many prophecies right through Psalms. You know, we saw it with Solomon. Uh, Isaiah 60 prophesies this. But the point here is that this isn't a static picture of all of us sitting around looking at Jesus in rapt contemplation, right? Or a static picture of all of us just loving each other but not doing anything. <laughs> no, this is an absolutely vibrant picture of a bustling community filled with activity as the nations come to worship and pay homage to Jesus. And they bring their splendours in, their art, their technology, their music, their architecture. This is a picture of high culture. This is a sophisticated, flourishing, creative, multicultural city. And this is part of the beauty <laughs> that we will exhibit. The things that we make, our enterprise, our creativity, all in honour of Jesus. And this is the fulfilment of the calling of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, to fill the earth with beauty and goodness and worship as the image of God, to fill the world with God-glorifying children and God-glorifying culture. And here it is, a world full of God-glorifying people making wonderful things in worship of Jesus. And this is important. We'll be more human than we ever could be in this life when we get there. We'll fulfil our human calling more than we possibly could now. We'll realise our potential as human beings in a way we couldn't possibly get anywhere near now, even though we have many tastes of it. So this won't be like the Lion King, you know, with the great father lion saying to Simba, now Simba, yes, we die, but when we die, our body fertilises the ground and the grass gets greener and grows higher and the antelopes eat the grass and the lions eat the antelopes and... Okay, you die, but you're part of the great circle of life. 
And that's supposed to be comforting, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, I die, but I'm part of the great circle of life. Or another version of this is when you die, you'll be stardust. Great. Uh, well, maybe, well, okay, that, that sounds good, yeah, all right. Or a lot of religions say when we die, we'll be part of the universal soul, which is the same kind of thing. But all of them are saying when we die, we won't be human people anymore, right? Our humanity will be stripped away utterly. And we certainly won't be a human community creating and loving and celebrating in a glorious creation. Our humanity in those worldviews, those other than Christianity worldviews, our humanity will be completely stripped. If we are just to become the great circle of life or the universal soul, my goodness, here's what I know. I am most alive and most fully satisfied and, and, and on fire when I'm with people I love, doing things that I love to the glory of the God I love. And if you strip that away, I don't have people I'm loving, I'm not a person, I'm just some sort of spark or something floating around, you have stripped away everything that makes my life meaningful now. What that would, I would call would be hell, not heaven. But this fulfilment that we see here in Revelation 21 and 22 is everything that we all dream about, everything that we're on about. This is right in the very heart of our souls, that we want to be people who create beautiful things, who love each other deeply, who create things together in community, all using our gifts. This is the vision we're given here of the new earth. Wow. Lastly, we see the throne of the Lamb. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, this is chapter 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Yes, yes, this is what we want. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This was the aim from the beginning, that God would come and dwell with us. This is what the Garden of Eden was about. So at the end of the book of Exodus, the aim wasn't just to get the people out of slavery in Egypt. The aim was to get them out of slavery so that God could live with them. And David's kingdom wasn't just simply about David ruling wisely. It was David ruling wisely so that he could set up his son to build the temple so that God could live with them and dwell with them. This is the story again and again. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And now in Revelation 22, 21, he will come and dwell with us forever. This is the whole point. And verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's absolutely wonderful to think of Jesus coming around each of us and wiping away the tears, the pain, the sorrow, personally as our husband, as our king. What a beautiful picture of his kingship, that he would come individually to each of us and comfort us, and all that pain and sorrow just washes away at that moment. And then Jesus himself says, verse 6, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is quoting Isaiah 55, which is a prophecy about the Messiah, the suffering servant. And Isaiah says that the that because of the work of the suffering servant, because the Messiah will come down and go into darkness and, 
Through the darkness of death, he will come out again and be raised from death. Because of that, the, the covenant will be renewed. And Isaiah says, look, anyone who's thirsty, come to the waters and buy without cost. And I will give you living water. Jesus quotes that in the Gospels. And Jesus says it here. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink freely. And then in chapter 22, the picture of the throne of Jesus expands and elaborates with the tree of life and the water of life and the river of life flowing out from the throne to make, in the book of Ezekiel, where this image is from, to make even the Dead Sea fresh. In other words, this is a picture of the waters of life flowing out from Jesus, from the throne, to renew the whole world, to bring it to life. And the tree of life grows on either bank of the river in its profusion of fruit. And John says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And that's a way of saying we'll no long, there'll no longer be any possibility of sickness. There'll be no longer any possibility of spiritual or physical brokenness. It'll be all gone. And the living waters and the delicious fruits of the trees are health-sustaining and joy-giving. And everything will be eternally fresh and alive and new and glorious in the eternal living stream of the presence of Jesus Christ. And how can a city where Jesus is personally present be anything other than the wellspring of life? Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night, no more darkness and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And we will serve Jesus, but also reign with Jesus in his light, his wisdom. This whole theme of wisdom through the Bible, we will now have it and we will be able to rule with him and steward the world, steward the world wisely, ruling by his side as his bride over all the earth and its fruits. As the image of God, <laughs> finally now, will be the kings and queens of creation that we were always created to be. Oh, and notice Jesus is called the Lamb, the Lamb on the throne. Wow, this title dominates the book of Revelation. And it dominates Revelation 21 and 22. It's all centred on the Lamb. To get into this new heaven, our names need to be written in the Lamb's book of life. We need to drink of the free gift of his living water that flows from his throne. And this wedding feast is called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And those in this new earth are called the bride of the Lamb. And there's no need for sun or moon because the Lamb is their light. The people of the new earth are people of the Lamb. They're Lamb people. They're people who've come to love and follow the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and heals the world. 
and they will rule with lamb rule, right? Not oppressive rule. Rule of the lamb is is rule that is self-giving love that brings healing and life to all. You are worthy because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You are worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. It's all about the lamb at the centre of the throne. And by giving our lives for and to this lamb even now, We enter his kingdom, we come to his throne and we receive the waters of living life that will well up within us and the new creation already now will begin. If we are people of the Lamb, if we respond to him in obedience and worship, if we come to him for mercy and grace and receive forgiveness. If we allow his cleansing water and healing touch to begin to heal us. And if we begin to cry, you are worthy. For you were slain. And by that we were saved. And we will come one day to this new creation. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. This is the cry now of the church. And the spirit, as the spirit's energy wells up within us, we call out, come Lord Jesus. We want that day to come. We want it. And let the one who hears say, Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The invitation is there for anyone. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, renew this earth. May heaven heal this earth. Make it new, God. Make it new. We want to see Jesus. We want to worship him with him actually there physically among us. And we want his presence to touch all things and make them gloriously alive. Father, we thank you for this vision. Help it just go so deep in our hearts and that we would call out with the Spirit, come. And as we sing and as we continue on our way, may this be the heartbeat of our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. May the great feast at the end of the world come. May the great dawning when the heaven comes to the earth and the celebration and all people from all nations who have accepted Jesus will will be there celebrating and wonderfully loving 
showing off their beautiful bodies and no longer hiding. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Incredible uh, vision. Let's stand and sing. Uh, not to Jerusalem. Too.